Yeah, the thing about this podcast is uh, we're what you might call uh, idiots. So it, it does just kind of, um, it falls out of us and then we kind of wake up in a field somewhere and there's an episode that's been uploaded. Yes. It would it would be funny if you started <laughs> cutting in some really hard bits and clips from Super Mario Brothers into Acid Horizon, though. So I would, uh, any amount of uh, uh, carnival ass car horn sound effect content like we do like uh, i think <laughs> i think Catherine malibu would really like it uh <laughs> craig does have a shock jock persona occasionally he would record bits but he won't put them in the podcast this is p- proper acid horizon lore here uh he plays like a sort of a uh let's say a coked up powered stern but i don't know if there's anything as a non-coked up one um, but <laughs> A, a traditional shock shock, but for post-structuralism. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the culture needs those, I think. Anger, sexual lust, the sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. So, what's the deal with Taco Bell? <laughs> Can we get to the bottom of that real quick? Have you been Have you been to British Taco Bell? Have you Have you seen what goes on in there? So my my hometown has been kind of a right, possibly rightfully so colonized by American food store. So we have Five Guys, we got Taco Bell, we got Wendy's, we got like Popeyes. You got Wendy's? Yeah, we got Wendy's. I'm like it's. I, I I get it. Like, there's loads of salad on their burgers, but they made the baconator to make up for it, and it's square. Yeah, so you're Wendy's got the Scottish bangs. Like Five Guys, no extortion. Oh no, we don't fuck Five Guys. Are you kidding me? Oh, we have Tim Hortons here as well for the Canadian lovers. Yeah, <laughs> it's, mid, it's, it's like. mid though. I don't drive. Tim, I can't Timmy's drink. here is mid. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Hortons, me go down Timmy Hortons. <laughs> <laughs> over here they call it timothy's how about that it's bad um the coffee's not good enough to be coffee the ice caps aren't candy enough to be candy mm. you know what i mean it's fucked up yeah serve me something that will kill me instantly or don't waste my fucking time yeah why well, if you sometimes you just need want a coffee milkshake because have that's often donuts. what I want. Do you guys have Duncan? Mm. Oh yeah, Duncan's kind of mid here too. Ah, that's a shame. Should we yeah. have Duncan here? Um, well, there's one in my city at least. The geographic distribution of American colonization is vastly disproportionate. In London, we're meant to have everything. I thought that was what the whole discourse was about. God damn it! Yeah. So <laughs> shout out to Duncan for correctly avoiding London um, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> bolstering the North for its struggle for independence uh, via <laughs> mid coffee. Yeah, it's honestly pretty <laughs> mid in the United States too. And I live in Massachusetts. I'm um, not sure how that contextualizes the Duncan information. It's where it's from. Oh, it's a uh, Bo- it's a I Boston. Did, I didn't read the lore. I did yeah. not read the lore. It's a Boston creation. Um, the there are cardboard cutouts of the New England Patriots, the football team, uh, <laughs> inside of Dunkin' Donuts. Like we don't give a fuck on this podcast, man. We right. will criticize Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, we will come to your country and and say your Tim Hortons here is fucking shitty. 
I'm not going to lie, I don't get American KFC. Like, you get it on a plate, there's mashed potatoes. Like, look, you're eating fried chicken at the end of the day, comrades. Enjoy yourself. Mashed potatoes, though. Mashed potatoes and fried chicken, that it, just makes sense in my soul. Like Popeyes, because Popeyes is so expensive here, but the chicken, like, the amazing like chicken shops of London sort of unparalleled, especially, like, the, the really good Bangladeshi ones where you can get, like, mm. do you want to get a biryani, do you want to get a curry, do you want to get a kebab with curry on it, like, naga, chili sort of stuff, or, and you get fried chicken as well. Like, I'm, you're spoiled for choice. In East London, mm. at least. Yeah, um, I don't know. The the chicken shops here can be uh, quite hit or miss. <laughs> some of them are okay, but some of them are like I, this. This meal might be what does it. This this might take me out. And I do like the danger aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, the 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 roulette aspect of it. Yeah, that's why I I go to Taco Bell. You know, um, as as a, a Western imperialist dog, I know that I I deserve death. Um, so I court it uh, in my dietary choices. <laughs> it's ironic. Though, I think we the... should be a third world this podcast. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> it's, it's kind of ironic though, because the the whole like chicken, just chicken made of like, taco made of chicken, probably has the most salad in it of any mm. taco on the menu. So they they oh, yeah, they load it compensating. Up. They think you won't notice the chicken if you coat it in enough green stuff. I'm like, who, who, yeah, why are you kidding? Like, it's, it's, it's a double down. Yeah, listeners will remember me trying one of these uh, on the pod a few episodes ago, and it was kind of dece. Um, it, it, it is sort of a double down in disguise. Um, but the little bit of lettuce and tomatoes, it, it helps you cope. It helps you be like, oh, this, is, this isn't self-harm. What's did happening it, right now? Did the UK get the... <laughs> The grilled stuff nacho. The what? Um, I don't. Um, oh, it's called the grilled stuff nacho, and it's basically like a giant quesadilla, but with like filled with ground beef and a sauce, and then strips. Uh, I don't think we have that. We it, have a- discontinued. Oh, for fucking partying too hard. I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, for party rocking. We're party rocking in and out of the house, uh, which is not permissible. Hold on, let me just have a quick. (laughs) Let me have a quick look at this bad boy right here. Yeah. So as as always, the audio medium is doing as well. Um, I've just shared an advertisement for the grilled stuffed nacho. Um, Yeah, listeners, just imagine. Oh man, ah, oh, I would eat this. I would eat this. That's good. the that's the unfortunate thing about being me is I see that and I'm like, yes. Late service at Weatherspoons. Oh, <laughs> Weatherspoons has been getting pretty shit. I think. Um, I don't know what's what's your view on this. We don't get a lot of British people on. So I go. That's to on purpose, by the way. Mostly Sorry, to read on. the in, the in-house magazine and like do cut like so I do like this thing of like William Burroughs sort of thing of like doing fold-ins and cut-ups, and because everything in there is uh, about either sort of local pub news mixed with uh, eugenicist fascist dreck, you can also make you can cut awesome. make some like amazing sort of like cut-ups there. Like uh, it's it, it's it's a weird experience. Like once I was reading it and I was like, wait, why the fuck? Paradise Lost were being interviewed. That like the goth metal, the goth like gothic death metal band, were being interviewed in the Weatherspoons magazine. And I was like, this is kind of a macrocosm of the British psyche. Like I, I think it's it's it's, mm. it's it's the most honest form of British propaganda. Because I remember a couple of times you'd be like in the urinals and you'd be, have a face, you'd have like this advertisement facing you, and it'd be Rishi Sunak. 
And he's like, yeah, Rishi's cut the... This is back when he was Chancellor. Like, oh, he's cut the t- duty on beer. And I'm like, I just want to have a piss, man. Like, at the moment, you're just taking the piss out of me and sending it back to me in a pint glass. <laughs> I never thought about the news ecosystem of the Weatherspoons. That's a... That's a harrowing thing to contemplate. I'm going to be honest. Count You play a game and you count the number of names who used to be members of Trotskyist parties in the magazines that you see. <laughs> I do not and get my, me started. The one time. Ben, because of Adam, I have been to Weatherspoons. Um, in my oh, only, only, to this day, my only trip to the UK. Um, and it was interesting how you can order beer in an app um, and then read about austerity, um, which feels kind of fitting. I'm not going to lie. I didn't intend for that to be a spiritual transition into introducing the actual reason why we brought Adam to on the podcast today, but to talk about, it feels like a, um, to berate him about fast food chains. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to start. Uh, yes. But also potentially to talk about a, a video game called cyberpunk 2077. Oh. Um, which what, is just, 10 minutes into the episode? Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> well, we don't have news. What else are we going to do? Listen, I have at least an hour of... <laughs> hey, I said introducing... I, opinions. I said introducing the conversation. We're allowed to, now that we've introduced it, immediately um, jerk back to talking about whatever the fuck we feel like talking about. But I guess we'll just use that as a chance to say, Adam's here. Hi, Adam. Thanks for coming. Yeah, good to be back. Good to be back. Talk about fast food, about weather spoons. I had to physically stop myself from getting, of course, I couldn't stop myself any other way, from actually getting Taco Bell to get into the spirit of things. Like, uh, Cyberpunk 277, folks, is a very burrito-based game. Uh, if you don't have <laughs> yeah. health packs, there are bur- there's a, like, all the vending machines sell three different types of burrito, which do exactly the same thing. So I think it's very spiritually resonant to get into the the burrito spirit of things. It's a very cybernetic kind of kind of a uh, kind of rap. It's the most cybernetic of the tortilla based meals. I think that's uncontroversial to say. Um, yeah, no, it's good to have you back. Um, I should introduce the fucking podcast for once. I don't know why I haven't done that in like three episodes. Uh, oh. This is Agab. It's Kay. You know, you know me. Kyle's also here. Yeah, I don't know if you if you remember that guy. He's the other one. He's the one that's not me. Uh, and then There's yes, two. we've got Adam from Acid Horizon. Um, we're talking about burritos. Um, I had Taco Bell yesterday, actually. So I'm not to brag. I'm sort of an expert in the field, um, but I have not had any today. So I'm not like top of my game, but I'm near the top of my game. Like, what is the status of any amount of, like, fast food Mexican outside of, you know, Taco Bell? Because I, I, I've i recently made this transition from being constantly surrounded by good Mexican food to um, New England, <laughs> which oh. lacks a few things. We were talking about chicken-based products. I'm from the south in the United States, so I'm in officially in a desert. Um, mm-hmm. I can't get wings. Um, there's no wing places near me. Um, what the fuck? It's it's. I, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. I can imagine that that's something that do- that doesn't exist as readily up up here. But holy shit. And in the UK, I don't know. All I hear about how is how like 
people go for quote unquote Mexican food in the UK and they're handed mm. some abomination. Um, not, not of science, uh, surely not of science, but something much darker and more sinister. Um, so we have some like burrito places that I find to be like crazy expensive for what they are. And I think part of that might be because it's still a bit of a, a novelty, mm. uh, this kind of food, but, um, I don't know. They're not at least compared to where I grew up in Canada, which for some reason had a ton of Mexican places. Uh, well, Tex-Mex places, all sure. of them run by white people, uh, to be certain. Um, but I would say they're quite rare here. Like my towns maybe got two or three. There's loads of it in London, but it's it's cut. Yeah, as you said, it's mm. kind of it's only just recently got here. Like in terms of like South American food, like Latin American food, we could do like you get like Great Colombian in London. Mexican, it's more tied to like, yeah, these big expensive chains. I mean, London's great for everything. Like apart from Mexican, I mean, like the Ethiopian food in London is insanely good like japanese like it's it's a very cyberpunk city in terms of how it appropriates this kind of orientalist fascination with japanese food actually um if you ever go like down Tottenham court road they've literally built like this, they've demolished everything and built these giant advertising billboards and it's i'm expecting tianu reeves to come in and rewipe my brain and turn <laughs> it into sludge any moment which would be nice actually <laughs> he's a very lovely guy i trust him you know, Cal- California does that too. I mean, and it comes by it honestly in terms of California's history of immigration. Um, but that's one thing that I feel like there's some sort of cosmic significance in the you know being in the big city kind of a thing. Although, like I'd I'd say that London, in terms of its arrangements as a um, um, you know, te- as as it teeming with life uh, as such maps more neatly onto the kind of world that cyberpunk has built despite cyberpunk being um in um as as i uh, mentioned to adam before we were recording uh, situated firmly in one of my favorite genres of punk and hardcore music which is uh why california living in california fucking sucks <laughs> i i think to be cyberpunk london needs more oppressive tall buildings like you've got the ugly pickle um and a couple other ones but i think i think we could do with a few more beef up that skyline a bit i'm sick of the ferris wheel too what's that about that's stupid it's what something like like, coca-cola and like o2 and i don't know trader joe's like sponsorships every five minutes so no one knows (laughs) <laughs> it, it's it spins between any old shit. I mean, we had some impressive buildings. I mean, there was that one building which melted your car, like it focused That's the sun rays. To, a liberatory like, building, people. I would say. <laughs> it's the raw transparency. That building of is bringing peace. That's true. Um, yeah, can we build like fifty of them? I think it that melted would be pretty your sick. car. What? Yeah, it's like it's the car <laughs> melter. What? You don't have any car melters in fucking Boston? Come on. It, it, refra- it basically reflected the uh, and concentrated the light so much that it more or less set the so it melted parts of someone's car and then it set the welcome mat to a barber's on that side of the road on fire. <laughs> Hostile. Fuck, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was Zone yeah. One. It's the where it's where it's it's the it's the financial district, the ancient city of London, like the city city where like companies it's like like a separate democracy where companies actually have the votes because we have there's two Londons. Yeah, you have the yeah. city, which is like ancient 
ancient evil which funded most of the imperials of stuff and kind of pre predates the city the, the actual state of england well the nation of england as such and then you have the city yeah. which is where all the good stuff is and luckily that the internal city is kind of you know, it's kind of stupid because they keep building stuff that sets them on fire but you know it, it yes it's a labor saving technology in that sense absolutely and i mean that's kind of that's a classic london bit is fires is my understanding about the city so i think they should keep doing it Stay true to your roots, you know? Yeah, the only thing that could make that whole situation of shit constantly catching itself on fire would be the ultimate um, um, cybernetic capitalism-related uh, solution, which is not preventing the fires from happening, but making a really good sprinkler that puts them out after they already happen. Totally. That could be what the pickle does. <laughs> It could hit everyone with a big fire hose from on top. It could. It's got like a heat detection thing. How far can you shoot water is this at a high enough you, pressure? Is this just tech? Is this what people do? I think they just sit around and make up ideas like that. Yeah. See, if we were Elon Musk, we would already have uh, government contracts for a project um, that we would never complete because it's probably uh, <laughs> impossible for like fifty different reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's it's. Listen, this is the most sensible economic order um, that humans are capable of. So, Well, I, one thing that I got to appreciate is to give us a chance to ask our guests about something um, relevant to uh, his what he's been doing over the past year. But it reminds me of I read in the I was lucky enough to get my hands on a copy of the upcoming Acid Horizon book. Um, and I, I just wanted to first remark on my favorite section of the introduction where the, uh, the, they call, what, what did you guys call tech billionaires? Fascist nerds? It's um, fascist nerds. Yeah. As soon as the interest fascist. rate went up, they all t- became fascist nerds. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, do you want to, uh, I don't know. Okay, so there's it's a book that's coming out that people should pre-order. There's it's actually there's several sections of it that are the the idea of cybernetics and cyber capitalism mm-hmm. relates very intimately to a fuck ton of the stuff that's in this book. Do you want to just tell people about it and why they're going to go pre-order it? Right. The, the, okay, so you just got to do it long enough for them to go pre-order it. So just talk about the book for 90 seconds while all of our listeners are currently going and pre-ordering it right now. Okay, so the book is called Anti-Oculus, A Philosophy of Escape, and it's more or less a collection of, sort of, essentially we were doing research while doing all the topics and the episodes we've been doing with Zero and Nasset Horizon, and it's really focused around the idea of thinking about the abstract machineries of social relations, thinking about sort of how cyber, understanding capitalism cybernetically, mainly in terms of the ways it tries to limit and control us in what Deleuze would call a society of control, which is essentially how technology and communications technology have accelerated the ways in which we can be captured and recuperated to help reinforce this system. I mean, I'll, just, I'll just do a quick like chapter breakdown. So the first part is uh, probably the most relevant to our discussion today, which is uh, called the cyberpunk present, which more or less says that cyberpunk is, is real, all that came sort of true, but in a more abstract way, in that cybernetics has become like the dominant logic of gov- of governance today, and a lot of the struggles in cyberpunk literature do exist. Just they are sort of even more dystopian than people like William Gibson could have even imagined. 
particularly when it comes to the politics of healthcare and the like. And then after that, it's more of the, you get like a general introduction to cybernetics, what I call uh, a general introduction to cybernetics and how to fight cops. Because it's basically working on the cybernetics of the question, how bad do things have to get before riots sort of break out? And when they do, how do police try to coordinate them? So I, I did a lot of research into kettling, particularly, and how people have tried to use communication technologies to get around kettles. Yeah, you know, like the idea of it being like completely, you know, uh, hemmed in by various like police units and basically left to sort of like cool down or to stop panicking and cause you know, inflame riots further. And then after that, it gets a lot weirder. There's a thing called ocularity, which is the main one of the main sort of concepts in the book, which is a sort of a it's almost like it's written in the style of a mock catalog, like a mock think tank, like a McKinsey or a Deloitte, however. But they sell you the ways in which identity is constructed and policed. So, so we go through the mechanisms of how essentially how the subject has fixed its own position through medical interventions, political interventions, how apparatuses like transphobia, racism, ableism all feed in, and how the apparatuses reinforce them in, in the contemporary sphere and also historically as well to fit the aim of capitalism. After that, we we go into a bit more of the sort of ways of escaping these apparatuses, mainly the idea of sort of an anarchy of the body or a, dis or a disability theory of anarchy, or technically an anarchist philosophy of disability, to put it better. And this is one of the stuff that Will's been working on, been going through sort of the Foucauldian philosophy of disability and how a lot of activists were sort of using the, the anarchic qualities of their own existence to fight against eugenic kinds of modernity. And then it all sort of tops off with this sort of amazing text, which is the it's called the Imageless Image, which integrates Deleuze and Guattari's ideas of becoming animal, some mysticism from like uh, Perrette, well, her as an example, to think about how we think about images and how our psychological and political imagination is captured by various kinds of capitalist images, so fascist ones as well. And this more or less rounds up to sort of the main thesis of the book, which is presenting mechanisms or like a conceptual toolkit for escaping or loosening the bonds of our current predicament. Not in the sense of, you know, going to escaping to some sort of, you know, temporary zone outside of this, but rather how to delink, deactivate, and short circuit the various mechanisms of cyber capital that we find of society within our current moment. God damn. That sounds good. I wish I could read. I would read that right away. Yeah. Yeah. All of our listeners should go first, get a book, and learn how to read. Um, yeah get like a, a starter book to learn and then hop into this one yeah um, but, and then immediately go and read this which you've already pre-ordered um yeah because yeah. like you guys listen to a podcast you probably can't read you know yeah 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 so i I'll, i i used text to speech to listen to the book <laughs> and um I found uh, what I've managed to get through before our conversation today to be really compelling very interesting um take on persistence of certain relations in capital that are very i think intimately familiar to people who are possess some criticality of it but who also like live in the world um as such uh that that what's so interesting about what y'all are doing in antioculus um is what makes the conversation around ideas ideas around cybernetics so interesting in the first place is that it's these magnifications of familiar terrain um mm. but that 
instead of adhering to like the sort of the problem that we're all dealing with that I think is exacerbated by the persistence of control societies, which is this, you know, if you will, a lack of imagine, a, no way out. Um, mm. if you will, this sort of like boxing in that we're feeling, um, that it offers some, you know, at the very least creative alternatives, um, in imagination, which I, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. No, it's a good book. So you've all pre-ordered it already, um, because mm-hmm. you went, you went to the notes of the show. Um, I'm interested to see, um, what you say about kettling in it because British cops love to do it. It's their favorite move. I would say they're pretty fucking good at it um, compared to several other countries that I, I could compare it to. Um, I, I think that British cops are quite good at crowd control in general, but I think part of that might be that British protesters are, and I think the technical term is massive pussies a lot of the time. Um, in fact, you know, that's a chicken or an egg thing. It could be that, um, you know, when, when you're adequately controlled, it's much harder to make those sorts of bold moves that i would never endorse of course i love the law and obeying it all the time absolutely i mean i did actually interview a couple of friends who were kettled in like the 2011 student riots 2011 that was the last time this country was cool sorry go on yeah i mean there was also because i found i was researching on the part because basically i I did the part on the the kettling stuff which was Looking at this paper, which used to learn some Guattari and that to read them, but it also had interviews with police officers themselves. And it's it's weird how kettling is meant literally meant to work like a kettle. Like you meant to get people to let off some steam. You meant to redirect the heat, create like a zone of exception within the social body so that capital can flow around it. You know, people were kept in these couple streets. Good, the cars can go around them. It's all about keeping circulation going because every time mm. you're moving throughout a system, especially in like a highly cybernated uh, city like london everything you're doing you're moving you're looking you're tapping in tapping out it's all producing data and you we're pretty much sweating commodities in the city and in many cities around the world yeah it's about like it, it you you take this like particular incident in conflict or in boiling over and relate it to a larger idea around scope um, and the connection of um, looking to observing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting how sort of like what, what's, what immediately comes to mind are like technologies and tools of observation. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about it in a previous two episodes ago mm-hmm. um, at length. But, uh, but how that sort of physicality of it, um, particularly, particularly within the context of police kettling, can be so jarring. Um, and e- even, even in the sort of like, well, it goes down like in the United States, what's interesting is that there's like, th- there's like, there's the fun, the funniest thing in the world is thinking about the, um, um, permit per like drawing up permits and going to the city to gain permission to protest something. Um, but it's a thing that happens. Um, there's sort of a legal framework for it. I would say our protests here are very, very legal, um, very legalist in nature. It's very, we've got a permit to do this, and if they tell us to disperse, we will. Nothing feels worse than being in, like, a pretty sizable crowd, and then hearing, like, oh, they told us to disperse, go home. It's like, really? First time they ask? The fuck did we even, like, you know, what, what did we put our shoes on for today? Could have fucking stayed home. Give me a break. Um... 
but it's like um something i think you really hit something on the head um talking about the importance of circulation and keeping mm. roads clear and i think you really see that with how in recent years some of the some of these more spectacle oriented like environmental protest groups like extinction rebellion and and um just stop oil um that's what they're called i think mm. um they have invoked more rage from like commentators and people's dads than anything i've ever seen just by like blocking a road Stopping traffic. Like that's yeah. that's the highest crime possible. <laughs> now look, fuck it, Abbott. Englishman's car is his fucking castle, and you you going up here, <laughs> fucking slow walking down the road. It's it's fuck. It's a fucking disgrace, right? No, no, I'm, no, no. no. So, it, look, that's what I say. It's okay. I'm from Essex, and my I'm my people are historically of the Cockney diaspora. I can say that. I can say it in that accent. <laughs> that's right. Nice. That's right. The pod remains uncancelled. Let's fucking go. Yeah. They can't. They can't cancel us. We're too strong and powerful and scary. That's true. Um, We're probably bigger than most of them. They should fucking behave. There's this really. There's this sort of scary point of conflict where, on the one hand, you have the demonstrated success in blocking uh, the most mundane activity, commuting, um, something that's like proven to be that COVID nineteen <laughs> attempted to at least partially render temporarily unnecessary inoperable and now it's trying to kind of like restart the car again to use a very on the nose metaphor for it there's this like well actually and funny enough it's something that y'all i'm a little scatterbrained today but it's something that y'all mentioned in the book um which is this idea that it was a it was a, it was a quick line but it's something that is really relevant the idea that like at 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 this point in like imperial core societies or in western societies if you will it's pretty much just as important to um, consume as it is to labor. And so on the one hand, you have the disrupting of the sort of day-to-day life in the commute and how, you know, I got to get to work to do my very important job, whatever that particular job is. Mm. Society must continue to function. Yeah, and then on the other at the racism factory. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I got to meet my racism spreadsheet quotas. (laughs) <laughs> um otherwise mr mcgillicuddy is going to get angry with me um but at, on the other hand you have i'm thinking of like people get, are, I, there, you have people getting hit on pit on picket lines um mm. by scabs <clears throat> um <clears throat> scab labor coming in to replace striking labor and then you have recently so the workers at the are you are either of you familiar with the restaurant dinner theater medieval times yes but only in theory i've never never been it's the warhammer of restaurants yeah it's basically a live dinner theater where people do like medieval fair style cosplay and performance and things like jousting and like everyone is a king and a queen for some reason that's always been really funny to me you come in and not how that works (laughs) exactly not really no (laughs) but um so they're like medieval times workers. I think I know in one location, I think there's more than one, but in at least one location have organized a union. That union mm. went on strike and their workers were getting hit on the picket lines by, I don't know if it was scab labor. Um, my guess was that it was an attendee. Um, Jesus. So, yeah. So there's the idea that like, there's a, there's this, there's a whole new sector of work that's, coming into conflict with capital rightfully so and, and you know righteously so if you will mm. um 
and who are finding themselves in this sort of like road based conflict. Um, you know, there are like, and that's where like, you know, I guess that's where my original thought was like, it's the idea of a judge that a judge can use an injunction to stop a picket line to open the flow of traffic back up to open up the ins and outs of a particular workplace. And it, 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 it's in its intimate interconnectivity is something that sticks out in this, in these cases. I mean, the most interesting action I've ever, most interesting actions I've seen were kind of inspirational for the kind of parts of the book I was, I was, that I was working on, especially those parts about kettling were mostly about stopping that circulation and seeing if you can encircle the people who are trying to break the, the, the movement. So particularly, one thing I was thinking about mm. was the idea of kettling the police. And the best examples of this have been in, in sort of Glasgow and London and other places in the UK where uh, so basically one of the government's people snatcher vans have showed up, abducted someone in the community, and then you know, someone gets under the van, other people encircle it, like in Kenmore Street in Glasgow, about a year, a year and a couple of days ago, actually. And you just encircle the police and eventually they leave. Uh, it, it, of course, it's, it's, it's a temporary thing, but the idea is you can deactivate their zone of control over that area. You can if you coordinate themselves better. And it's not spontaneity in the... It's spontaneous, but it's a prepared spontaneity. It's the conditions, yeah. the possibility for it have to be... Uh, Inserted, but another good, another, my favorite action, actually, one of my favorite actions over the past couple of years, and I'm I'm using predominantly British examples, but it, the book does go a bit further. Than that. It does, it mainly want, for example, it mostly goes to, uh, as for example, the recent ChatGPT unionizations. They don't want you to think that there's workers behind this, but every AI right. is just a guide. The only thing artificial about AI is the fact it's artificial, and if we don't accept that, we're probably handing over the reins of the discussion to Henry Kissinger, which is a a bad idea, but the action I was thinking of was actually won by Extermination Rebellion, and they did this thing where they got in front of the uh, sort of the delivery part, of the road coming out of the newspaper printers, and they blocked it off. And I love this idea because it wasn't just stop; so it was stop; it was stopping the circulation of papers. Yes, but what it also does is it means that the papers on their online functions do nothing but whinge and fucking whine about how no one can get their paper. And that's taking up space that they would usually use to, for example, attack trans people, attack my, attack everybody and make everyone's lives shit. Because newspapers mm. are, stochastic, are basically stochastic terrorist implements with, with better funding. Um, and the idea of stopping circulation, signal jamming, it, it's not particularly the oldest idea, but the idea of stopping circulation is really some of the most interesting parts of the labour struggles in the UK. I mean, I, I think that when the, the printer's strike lost at Wapping... It, things really did get bad because people can't really turn around and say, you know, we're not going to print this stupid shit anymore. Uh, now it's just, it's it's a constant flow of Murdoch and Rovermere and spiked branded effluvia into into the consciences of um, the most sort of, you know, uh, Twitter addicted parts of the upper middle classes. You know, this reminds me, you're, you're very like good and succinct, succinct. 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 That's how you speak. Um, critique of sort of how, uh, you know, our media has become this just direct through line for this fucking, you know, just whatever's on Murdoch's mind, which is mostly, you know, how can I divide the working class today? How can I create a new sort of moral panic or social hysteria over some marginalized group's existence? Mm. Um, that reminded me of a game that 
thinks it has some uh, poignant critiques, kind of the opposite of you, um, because it doesn't. Uh, and it's called what's it called? Is it called the is is it called the Cybermen? Is that what it's called, Kyle? Cybermen is this a Doctor Who game? Cybermen or Dragon Ball Z game? Oh, Cybermen! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the little seed guys who yep. fucking do they kill any of them? Yeah, they kill Yamcha. Yamcha died a fucking Cyberman. <laughs> but we'll have to save that for later. Let's talk about Cyberpunk 2077. What um what is Cyberpunk 2077? The most Cyberpunk thing about it is the labor conditions under which it was fucking produced. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. First of all. First of all. Yeah. Mostly just which a bunch was, of crunch. It's a crunch rack. Which yeah. And that was certainly the the treatment of the people making it was reflected, of course, in the product that we got, which was famously fucked, um, because it couldn't be anything else under those conditions. So, um, what do we what do we make of a game that is so? I'm not even trying to put it. It is the the details behind its creation are so so ironic because of what it is trying to be. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, to think about the labor conditions for one, but two, the labor conditions it puts you into. Because, so you play V, right? A character of indeterminate gender, genitalia, experience. You can choose You can choose everything. It's ultimately customizable, but also... You can have a big pee-pee. That's how you know it's a good game. <laughs> yeah, it's cu- you, can, you can customize it within certain limits, but those limits are very tightly controlled. It's, it's, the, it's the right aspects of the control society. You can either the pee-pee uh, slider <laughs> theory... <laughs> PP slider, isn't that the guitar playing dog from Animal Crossing? PP slider. You just Sorry. at one point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adam, you were saying uh, smart words. You could always be like a corpo, uh, which is you know uh, someone who gets an email job, so therefore someone whose whose job is to consume things, to spend money. Um, a nomad, which is kind of like a biker, Mad Max kind of gang, um, it obviously is as criminalized and usually discriminated against as nomad people are in our current society. Um, or you can be like a street rat. You can't start at the top. You can only start at uh, sort of the upper middle at best. And you are basically thrown into the world of being a mercenary, which is more or less a self-entrepreneur. So you work for fixers, who are these people, kind of like gig promoters, but for jobs, and then you go, you know, you do you do, do robberies, you can do acquisitions, you saving, but general hero stuff. And you are set in this world called you're sent into the world of Night City, which is a term from the book Neuromancer. It's not actually explored that much in the first book, I think, of the Sprawl trilogy. But Night City is a, a seceded part of the United States in California. It's got a big fucking border wall. Harkening back some, you know, Trumpian uh, notions there, and essentially, Night City is a is a city run by a corporation, and it is run for corporations. So we have the main sort of antagonist corporation. You have Arasaka, continuing, of course, the Orientalist fear of the Zaibatsu corporations in cyberpunk literature. Um, mm-hmm. got Militech. You have uh, you have other various companies like Gramsci Burger, of course. Uh, Mark X. You know, Mark. You have Deleuze, the uh, guitar manufacturer. You know, Deleuze and Guitari. Very smart. Very smart. Um, go to CritDrip.com <laughs> to buy the Guitari Guitar Center t-shirt. No. Uh, 
And if you're thrown into this world to do, you do one job, your friend Jackie Wells, it goes bad. You end up with a construct inside your head. It's Keanu Reeves. He's this badass anti-capitalist terrorist who detonated a nuke into a corpo tower once. He's also in this band Samurai. All the songs are done by Refused, which is actually kind of... I got to give. Oh, okay, I don't have to give it that much credit, but the game has a pretty good soundtrack, I will say that. You've got Two Mold, you've got Health, you've got Sophie, R.I.P. Um, and your job is... Yeah, it is, does kind of burn. Yeah, do I get for the record Keanu- it is. Yeah. <laughs> do I get Keanu Reeves out of my head, or do I become an anti-corporate cyber-terrorist? And then it's just kind of... Yes, technically you're dying as a cybernetic mind virus rewriting you into this, you know, terrorist. So it's kind of like, you know, reading a British newspaper. But... It- <laughs> at the same time, you could have to like you, know, you have to explore the world, figure out how to get this thing out of your head, and basically try not to die whilst also being a gig economy worker. And um, of course, this would be a horrible thing to do, a horrible thing to be. But luckily, they they take out all of the bad parts of the society they have to create because, like for example, your rent you'd have to pay rent, and automatically like there's the immersion. This should be a shit time, and the problem is it can't be. They sort of exported, they compressed the shitness of the life onto the workers so you can have like yeah. your little Disneyland playground kind of thing. That is a huge pet peeve of mine in not just cyberpunk um, mm. video games, but um, you know, most video games that are, are, are trying to talk about class or position themselves as this kind of dystopian society. Um, normally, if you have a house, it's pretty sick. Like your flat is gorgeous mm. uh in in cyberpunk it's as is often the case it's very nice um and so to not for it to be free just completely erases this like fundamental issue that urban living especially entails um and i think that's kind of it connects with a wider problem that the game has where it really wants you to think that night city is cool Mm-hmm. And so all this work it does to to build up these sort of horrifying details about this society are constantly butting up against. But isn't it fucking cool? Isn't this a cool roller coaster playground type situation that you just want to hang out in and do stuff? Please like us. Please. Oh, God, please like us. And that's kind of how the game comes off to me. If, would you believe that there is um, YouTube style ASMR about Night City? um that's very popular on the internet of course there fucking is of course there's endless videos with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views that place an emphasis on the ambiance of the i made a youtube video about this kind of phenomenon and why it Mm. is is destined to drive me insane um because just like any other sort of atmosphere um or any other cultural object that places such an emphasis on um the like curating such an environment as to paper over this the 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 central content of that actual environment itself resulting in this flat mass of nothing it's a game that's filled to the brim with nothing um specifically because it can't actually like it has to reclaim and restore its sort of central vision of order which is 
uh, all about taking a walk through the shittiest, like, but most like, it's it, you know, it, it's it's about observing and living in this excitingly shitty environment that it's supposed to like. It's like a, it's it's like this weird curation experiment that's just not as you're both saying like it's it's in a, it's lack of connectedness at at, at, le- at the very least they try and demonstrate uh the idea of debt but like indebtedness is this it's all like it's also just like grand theft auto like it's just grand theft auto it, it doesn't have the sort of like it doesn't you know that that the parts of our society that are particularly restrictive in how they're expressed in the medical um medical housing um and labor related environments and social apparatuses because the game itself is i mean not to spoil the very end of it but the game is about basically the the restoration of some of of this flat ordered enjoyable experience and honestly making policing easier and (laughs) it's it's weird this game is so uncurious about the police um classic classic cyberpunk classic um you know critical of society text um that we we've all come to expect and love um from cd project red Uh, adam what do you think about this game and the police well um so fuck it this game does not posit a difference between the police and the citizen. There is no distinction. Um, things will get a bit heavy from here because, for example, so I finished all of the fixer missions. You know, the idea of like people giving you jobs on the side. All it's left. So when you finish the main quest, you get sent to the last point. You know, point of no return. You can go play about, do all the rest of the stuff. After you've done all the side stuff, the only missions left for you are. Um, responding to police calls because you know the police are hired by the state but the state isn't the state it's a company it's a night city corporation uh, so you are just basic the only thing left for you to do is go and be a cop or buy shit but the buying shit does nothing i mean you you, you, you can buy vinyl records and guitars and brain dance vr chips but you can't use them all that's left for you to do is go be a cop and i don't think this the police missions are actually the best way of exploring the relationship with the of cyberpunk 27 to policing i think the site so in the world of cyberpunk 2077 this well the cyberpunk world specifically um which is the based on the uh, tabletop game the more cybernetic implants you get essentially you get what they call cyberpsychosis which is in in the tabletop it is you start to basically become so used to moving through the world so fast at the speed of machineries that other people get kind of grating to you. So that's just, that's Twitter brain. Fair enough. But in <laughs> the, in the world of the game, cyberpunk 2077, cyber is essentially, so you, you, you learn about cyber psychosis because as soon as a cyber psych, as soon as someone becomes what they call a cyber psycho, they're put down by the police. Now, one of the missions you get is from a fixer called, I think Regina, Regina George, I think, something like that. Um, can't remember her name. Regina something. Um, and she basically says, look, we want to prove cyberpsychosis isn't really real. It's just people being driven 
to some sort of you know uh, mental health break by their social conditions. So you go find them for the police, get them, um, beat them within an inch of their life, which I mean, you know, if you hit them one more time, they die. You can kill them, of course. Um, and then you 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 work out what what made them go quote unquote cyber psychotic. So you show up, you go find them, you subdue them, by which I mean you fill them up with bullets and knife wounds and the like. And then you find out that actually the pressures of living in a society have driven them round the bend and they have just flipped. And then you go, oh great. And then you, by the end of and you do about you do about twenty of these quests. And you go back and you say, ah, oh, see, we've got the research now. We can say that cyberpsychosis isn't a death sentence and it doesn't actually exist. Okay, then, well, why don't you just hand me a copy of Capitalist Realism instead so I don't have to go beat up a bunch of people having mental health crisis? <laughs> because this this game, this game when it's, when it, in its relationship to disability and particularly mental health issues, mm. in light of the fact that it does not make a distinction really between the police and the player as an everyday citizen, turns you into daniel penny it turns you into daniel penny it turns everyone else around you into a potential jordan neely we saw this in america with the the man having like just literally just throwing his coat down saying i've got nothing in society society has absolutely failed me i'm fucking sick yeah. of it and v might as well be the guy who puts him in a fucking chokehold and murders him in broad daylight because that's what you're doing in this game. This game is essentially is pro in many of these missions are programming you to be a psychological and eugenic police officer, um, or again just treats you as a citizen as a potential police officer, as you know, like a marine Todd raring to go. And it's 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 it's. I mean, there's, there's a great video on this actually developing these themes from Sophie on Mars on YouTube. But this 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 is fucking disgusting to be honest. And it's only I was replaying it today, and I messaged Kyle saying, "Oh fuck, this is what happened in in New York, and this is what happening all across uh, the states. The deputization of the citizen in a highly corporatized society, and it, mm. it it's um it's an incredibly depressing game once you see that this is the kind of subjectivity it's made. But it can't tell you that. It's got to be You've got the click, you've done the mission, you get paid. Oh, you did some good. No, you didn't. You just beat someone within each of their lives for responding to a society in the way that you're also responding to it because you, your brain is being rewritten by a cybernetic organism. I don't see how that couldn't be a mappable situation there. But rather than empathy, it, it resorts to uh, deputization. So that that's that's the the... the the, the brunt of what I think this game does with policing. Yeah, it it's reflective of this ad of these attitudes that are very present, particularly when considering, as you mentioned, anyone who's homeless. Um, and that uh, something that I've always found really interesting is that in when I was working for a homeless nonprofit, there was a um, uh, in the town that I lived in, there was a bid for there are various bids which are all uh, for private industry to come and perform uh, mm. a certain beautification in their words, the beautification of the downtown of this town, which in part was uh, involved um, increasing funding for police to remove homeless people. Mm. Um, and in turn, they, the citizenry in many case, such cases are continuously uh, taught new ways to like observe madness mm -hmm. in their day-to-day -day life and how 
the like the the rather than the sort of like social the social binding of identification having like 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 not even in sort of like the empty sort of like or like the passive like bearing witness to tragedy of like liberal humanists or any of that bullshit the understanding of the socialization of madness and its relationship to not having a place to fucking live um, um, causes people to um, or encourages them to enlist in the very discursive institutions that have reinforced those categories to begin with rather than um, I don't know thinking things otherwise and the thing about cyberpunk is like there's a there's a there's a there's lore of its fucking police force it has this like it was sort of independently in the lore of the game in the police force was like privatized independently of the creation of this corpo city state um but that's meaningless in the expression of this private this like larger act of privatization that occurred in this fictional society um but is instead exactly what you described adam instead it what what what's actually occurring here is present in the after the dust has settled in the post-game content when you're allowed to just like what do you do with your ambling time um, what are you forced to, what are you encouraged to do with your ambling and time? It's to consume um, or observe. Um, and I think that's very telling. The, one of the key things of the cyberpunk genre is its re- relationship to sort of noir sort of fiction and noir movies. Mm. And they they tried doing it at one point. You team up with a detective, he's like, oh my god, the police are corrupt. And I'm like, what the police? The ones hired by the Night City Corporation who run Night City. I don't think a corrupt, corrupt police narrative really works in a society <laughs> founded on the very basis of corporatization. Uh, this is that's kind of a you problem if you if you see anything different. To be honest, it's all it's all the it's the it's a reflective of the rea- the manufactured crisis in policing in reality. Like that, simply the re- the reason why policing is bad is because there's not enough police. It's because there's a like it's simple like they, they talk about how they're underfunded and they're underequipped and they're understaffed when they have more. This is the United States, but like they talk about how they're understaffed and that they're underequipped when we have a fully militarized police force. Yeah, and it's, it's preposterous. Insane. Yeah, it's just it's absurd. It does like in no form of reality besides this sort of like domestic post-fascist police force militarized moment that we live in does that actually map on to reality is not rather a like addictive fiction yeah i mean they, they do the same whining about being underfunded in the uk and like scarcely do you see a cop and there's not like fucking six of them harassing a homeless guy or something for you know being around at all like I think they got enough people. I think they're good, actually, on that one. Um, but I think it's a really good point, um, the way the game erases the distinction between like the private citizen and the cop. And I was when I was playing it, I was thinking of another game. Have either of you played Observer? 
No. No. Okay, Observer is a game that I kind of recommend. It is a cyberpunk-type setting. Uh, Most of the game takes place in a big tenement block, and you are um, a cop who is trying to find uh, his son, basically. Um, And most of what you do is talk to people through the intercoms on their doors. You don't really see other human beings. Um, And a lot of it is just these little sort of vignettes between you and and the tenants of this building. And I think it's a really interesting game with a gorgeous atmosphere, but I feel like you feel like more of a cop in cyberpunk than you do in Observer, where you literally play a cop because you don't really hurt anyone. Mm. You know, you just you just go around talking to people. Mm-hmm. There's a couple little side questy things where you can do things that might fuck someone over, but you're not like beating a fucking perp within an inch of their life and extracting fucking data from them or, or whatever. Like that's not what you do. In that, you know, you feel more like a detective than, you know, a fucking corporate mercenary uh, in in Observer. And I found it interesting how every... If I were to make a caricature of how police see themselves, I, I, could, I could draw quite a bit from cyberpunk, you know? Um, or how the right certainly wants uh, random people to see themselves as, like you said, as, as deputized basically to brutalize vulnerable people. Um, and a, a lot of people, when, when cyberpunk came out there, they got a lot of criticism for making police collaboration, such a large part of the game. But I think that those early critics didn't realize how, deeply enmeshed in like the dna of the game that idea is yeah you collaborate with some absolutely atrocious human beings i mean it, it, not to just dump it the full moralization aspect i mean there's no discussion of the only discussion of class in cyberpunk 2077 is in the anime which actually puts in the in the frame of okay this person doesn't have to pay they have to break into their apartment um it doesn't even frame the idea of healthcare very well given the main plot mm-hmm. point is you know, it is the search for healthcare, and cyberpunk is, mm. is cyberpunk. The only the main sort of thing that sticks about from it is healthcare as a as a paradigm, because you know, in neuromancy, the idea of okay, uh, case his cybernetically is basically his nervous system has been destroyed, so he he can't go on the computer anymore, to put it roughly, um, and constantly there's cybernetic implants. The idea of subscription services for them—you have to keep keeping up your payments, keep them maintained, otherwise you're fucked. This this is one of the main realities of cyberpunk, which has kind of been occluded because the the cybernetic systems—you look like a diagram of the system—doesn't matter if the implants inside of you, you know, like the sensor which tells you need to top up, need to pay, is inside of you, or it's an institution like a, a hospital. Be it a sort of NHS style hospital, uh, particularly this is a case if you're trying to get uh, gender affirming healthcare in the UK and in the wider sense of everything in terms of US healthcare. Particularly when it comes to insulin, which is one of the most interesting cybernetic kind of, it's a control mechanism for blood sugar levels. And it has cybernetic implants available for it, you know, insulin pumps, uh, sensors, you know, it senses, it gets feedback from your bloodstream. Beeps, okay, got to inject, got to eat something, depending on your, your type. But you, you collaborate with some really interesting uh, different forces here, including in the media, which I guess is something uh, we should probably talk about. I mean, um, 
there's there's a part where you are picked up in a car by this production company. So in Cyberpunk 27, you have these things called brain dances, which are like VR headsets you can like play experiences through. It's very much like that movie Strange Days, also a very cop-friendly movie that, uh, in, in parts, at least in the end of it. And this guy picks you up and he's like, look, I'm recording a new brain dance. Basically, I record my experiences and I sell them. And I've had a, I'm a convicted murderer. I've had this spiritual awakening and I'm going to be crucified. Can you please crucify me? <laughs> so you literally, <laughs> you literally crucify someone for a tape so people can experience the crucifixion. And it is, it is, it is hyper real in every, all the weird, wobbly, Baudrillardini uh, ways of putting it. <laughs> That rules. Um, that's how I want to go, actually. Um, what's even the point of dying if it can't become content? That is the YouTuber's creed. Um, so we're at about an hour. What we generally do these days is, at this point, we do plugs and stuff, um, but then we will keep going for about half an hour for uh, Behind the Paywall. Are you able to, to hang around for that long? Of course. Fuck yeah, we can go into more juicy details on uh, everyone's favorite game, Cyberpunk 69420. Um, and if you are one of the the chosen, the powerful, who get to be behind the paywall, you, you will be able to enjoy all of that. Uh, but for the serfs, the peasants, the, the ne'er-do-wells, uh, where can people find you and your stuff, Adam? So, you can find me over at the Acid Horizon podcast, which is on all good podcast platforms, and of course a few bad ones as well. Uh, also on YouTube, we have like a video component. We also do shorter video essays now. I've got one coming out soon on AI, and how AI is actually just, it's just, it's just proletarianization, folks. There's people behind it. It's just a guy. Um, and then there's also, of course, you can see me often with Kyle on the Zero Books YouTube channel and podcast streams. Zero Books, we're good now. We're good, good together, <laughs> like, like the old time. Um, and then also, if anyone's interested in industrial music and harsh noise, somehow, you know, if you want to get rid of the signals, you can find me over at thecominginsurrection.bandcamp.com. Fuck yeah. All right. Where can they find you, Kyle? You can find me at um, the link in the description for this episode for the pre to pre-order the book Anti-Oculus uh, by Acid Horizon. Um, I live there now um, until other pre-order links become available for people to pre-order things. But yeah, for now, that's where you can find me. You can probably find me at Labor Kyle on things, but maybe go yeah, just go to Zero Books. There's, there's an interview with uh, Richard Gilman Opalski that has come out that I think is great. People should watch that. Sweet. Do that. Um, and I'm going to know if any of you don't. We keep pretty good tabs on the IP address of everyone who uh, visits our SoundCloud, uh, Spotify. Um, and we're, we'll, be, we'll be checking up. Uh, as for yeah. me, you, you can find me on Twitter at KN Skittles and YouTube at the very same. And in fact, Twitch again at the very same. Um and that's it. Uh, we're we're going to go behind the paywall now where you can't see us anymore. Uh, so in closing, cyberpunk, <laughs> more like cyberbunk. Huh? I'm so glad nobody laughed at that. All right. Goodbye. All gamers are bastards.
famiglia. Ah, ravioli! Ah, mamma mia!